Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 641. Well, we're sending our best wishes to our friends and Talking Birds listeners in the great state of Florida. As of early this morning, reports indicate that Hurricane Irma has regained strength with maximum sustained winds of 130 miles an hour, along with life-threatening storm surges. I guess we thought talk of hurricane would be in the past, but certainly not the case with Irma battering, battering the Florida Keys. Right now, Hurricane Katya smashing into Mexico and Hurricane Jose churning out there in the Atlantic, even as folks in Texas still recover from the devastating effects of Hurricane Harvey and the massive flooding it brought. We plan to talk about hurricanes' effects on birds today, but I think we'll postpone that until next week. I'll be looking at the moon But I'll be Seeing you. Uh, the great Billy Holiday looking at the moon. Right about now, some folks are looking at the moon in a slightly different context. It's early September and we're well into migration season for many bird species. In the August edition of a Massachusetts based publication called Bird Observer, which you can find online at birdobserver.org. Martha Steele wrote a piece, as she recalled, a passage in a book by Scott Widensall about how he would set up a scope and aim it at the full moon and watch migration. After reading it, Martha says in the piece, I couldn't wait for a full moon to try this myself. Well, last night I had a full moon, so I set my scope up, aimed it at the moon, and watched and waited. About 30 minutes later, I saw something small and fast go across my scope as it passed by the moon. It caught me off guard, and at first I wondered if it was a bug. Then within another second, four birds flew across my sight in the scope. I'll never know what species they were, but it was a thrill to actually see them. If you haven't tried it, I highly recommend you do, says Martha. The feeling I got when it registered that I was actually witnessing in real time the migration, it was beyond thrilling. Everybody got to try this. That's for Martha Steele writing in Bird Observer magazine. From the Talking Birds email bag, we received a note from one of our fabulous Talking Birds ambassadors, Lori Graham up in Underhill, Vermont. And she says, I have won the Mystery Bird Contest twice in the past, and I love my feeders. I'm a fifth through eighth grade science teacher in Bakersfield, Vermont, and I've had my students listen to some shows from the archives including the ones where I won the mystery bird contest. When I returned to school this week, one of their first questions was, did you win any more feeders or go on any bird radio shows this summer? (laughs) Well, we hereby send a shout-out and a big hello from our bird radio show to all of Ms. Graham's students there at the Bakersfield Elementary Middle School there in Bakersfield, uh, Vermont. 
and I hope some of you will call in one of these days and maybe win a bird feeder of your own. Still to come on our show today, the birdist is back. That's right, the birdist, a.k.a. Nick Lund, has just returned from his birding trip to Australia, and he'll be here to regale us with his envy-inducing sightings from down under. From a little closer to home, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor on Cape Cod in our Let's Ask Mike Live segment. Uh, Mike has some observations about your observations of the birds in your backyard and at the feeders and their kind of hierarchy and how birds and why they behave the way they do out at uh, your bird feeders. As always, our mystery bird contest will produce a beautiful Droll Yankees feeder for a winner of our contest, someone who identifies the bird or... Um, wins in a drawing if nobody does quite identify it. And we'll have a bonus prize one more time, a big bag of birds and beans, bird-friendly, shade-grown coffee in our mystery bird contest. And up next, a bird that accomplishes a feat of migration like no other is today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about birds and birding. We didn't get to our other parts here. We have some other things to uh, get to, though, before our featured feathered friend. Tim is looking at me going, that, that's not... This is a page is in the wrong place here. Okay. What we wanted to say was um, uh, congratulations and thank you to our newest Talking Birds ambassador. That's Adam Dalla uh, up in Colquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, Adam tells us he is well, he's probably our youngest ambassador, maybe, so far. I'll have to check on that. He is age 12, and um, he was our Mystery Bird Contest winner last week, and he followed that up by becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. So, listeners, we hope you'll do that, too. Just go to TalkingBirds.com and click on the Contact button and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Extra, extra, read all about it. Okay, some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Why a rare bird was lucky to have met a Syrian rebel commander. It's really a remarkable story, and we'll link, to you, link you to it on our Facebook page. The Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Macaulay Library, the world's largest archive of animal sounds, is an amazing place. We'll link you to a fascinating feature about it, courtesy of the National Science Foundation. And our man Mike O'Connor explains why we're not seeing or hearing so many catbirds all of a sudden. Plus, he issues his annual warning about buggy birdseed. That's all right there on our uh, Facebook page uh, right about uh, now. Right in our blog this week, Why California Wineries Love Barn Owls. If you missed the story here on our show a few weeks ago, you can read all about it on our website, TalkingBirds.com. That is the sound of our mystery bird. This is a little preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later on in this morning's show. Um, yeah, it's a small wader that breeds in the Arctic regions of North America and Eurasia and winters at sea in uh, tropical oceans. It's about seven inches long with lobed toes and a thin straight bill. The breeding female, actually more colorful than the male, mostly dark gray above with a chestnut neck and upper breast, black face and white throat. That's our mystery bird preview. We'll do the contest in just a little bit. And now uh, we do the featured uh, feathered friend thing. 
Today's featured feathered friend is a truly remarkable bird. It's the bar-tailed godwit, a bird of Pacific Asia and Alaska. But it has been spotted on the east coast of the U.S. over the years, on Monomoy Island, for example, and South Beach in Chatham on Cape Cod, and right here on the south shore of Massachusetts in Plymouth. So what makes the bar-tailed godwit so remarkable? Well, how about this? Bar-tailed godwits make the longest non-stop flight of any bird. Observed by satellite tracking, birds in New Zealand were tagged and tracked all the way to the Yellow Sea in China. The birds flew almost 7,000 miles in nine days. Bar-tailed godwits also make the longest journey without stopping to feed by any animal. Using low-pressure systems to help them migrate and take advantage of strong tailwinds. Since the birds don't feed during flight, they've even evolved a way to shrink their stomachs, replacing that weight with fat and muscle. Bar-tailed godwits are large shorebirds about 16 inches in length with a long, dark, slightly upward-curved bill that's pink at the tip and blue-gray legs. The back is a mottled gray color, and in breeding plumage, the bar-tailed godwit sports a cinnamon-colored head, chest, and belly that's much brighter in the male. And when there's a bunch of them together, they're collectively known as an omniscience of godwits, or a pantheon of godwits, or a prayer of godwits. Here are the calls they make. Saying some prayers up in its Arctic breeding territory, the bar-tailed godwit, today's talking birds, featured feathered friend. Hey, by the way, speaking of bar-tailed godwit, that's a bird we talked about in our little Magic of Migration slideshow that we presented on Friday to uh, the folks at the Laurelwood Garden Club in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Want to say hello to Julie and all the folks there at the Laurelwood Garden Club. We had a terrific time out there on Friday at the Fitchburg Art Museum. Here on our show, it's number 641. Hope you'll visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to welcome once again to our Talking Birds program, the one, the only... The Birdist. The Birdist, a.k.a. Nick Lund, creator of the Birdist's Rules of Birding at Audubon.org. We usually hear from Nick about one of his rules, but today we're diving deeper. Going down under, the land down under, that is, from where Nick has recently returned to regale us with his best bird sightings from Australia. And good morning, Nick. Hey, Ray. R- regale means brag about, basically. That's all. And that's what you're going to do, right? That's what I'm going to uh, do. All right. <laughs> so this is your first visit to Australia, and I guess it was uh, it was really, uh, really something. Yes, sir. For, you know, for all the travel I've done in the United States looking for birds, I haven't gone internationally that much. And so this was, I wanted to go basically as far as I possibly could, mm. where there was as little overlap with American birds as possible, and I succeeded. I had all a great time. Right. And you have the jet lag uh, to prove it, right? Still hanging on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about completely opposite from the United States. So when we're waking up in the morning, they're going to sleep. And vice versa. So uh, I had a little bit of trouble with the jet lag, but I'm I'm just getting over it now, 
and uh, I'm back on American time. We talked to Mike O'Connor off the air a few minutes ago. He went to Australia a while ago, and he was remarking how easy it is to bird there. Of course, people, it's an English-speaking country, and uh, it's it's like being in America except with all different birds. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's a, it's a very sort of uh, easy-to-get-around-in country. The roads are great. Uh, everyone's very friendly, and there's lots of accessibility to national parks and to natural areas. Uh, if you can get the driving on the left side of the road part down, then yeah. then you're pretty much all set. Yeah, uh, yeah that probably uh, did you do that? That the opposite side. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. It took it. It was fits and starts, and a few <laughs> other motorists honking at me uh, crazily at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I figured it out, and uh, and it it went fine. All right. Well, you had some favorite birds that you saw there. We made a list of five of them, and number five, if I have this right, is the wampu fruit dove. Wampu fruit dove. One of the exciting things, so I should say first, that we were in the tropical north of Australia. It's their winter down there. Everything is opposite. And so we wanted some fairly warm weather. So we were up in Cairns and Darwin uh, in the northern part of the country where it's uh, tropical and there are rainforests and it's just beautiful weather. And so in those rainforests are all kinds of doves and pigeons, birds that we don't have really uh, here on the east coast of the United States. We have a couple, but they have some very beautiful species, including this wampu fruit dove, which is this beautiful purple-bellied green big pigeon that sits high in rainforests and uh, and eats fruit from its name, and it's just it's just a beautiful bird. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in addition to that, we saw these all these pigeons, um, Torresian imperial pigeon, this big beautiful black and white bird, top knot pigeon, this bird that looks like it's wearing a man bun, flies around <laughs> with this big sort of man bun on its head. Um, crested pigeon, this bird with like a big uh, you know spike coming out of its head, these mm. spiky feathers. Uh, it was really different and uh, and beautiful. And honey eaters, I think you described them as almost the equivalent of warblers here in terms of many different species, small and colorful. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in the same way that we have all these different warblers, they have honey eaters, which are everywhere and, you know, are, are similarly cha- uh, difficult to, to separate sometimes. Um, they're all, you know, there's the brown and brown-backed and brown-fronted and all these different species that are sort of alike. And so it was a nice challenge to try to figure out what I was looking at and how to tell them apart. Um, some were very uh, specialized, like the bridled uh, honey eater that we saw up on top of Mount Lewis. Mm. Um, but then, you know, a lot of times they're everywhere, like the brown-backed and, and some of the other species we saw. Right. So that was great to sort of uh, dive into some identification challenges. Mm-hmm. And number three, we maybe don't even have to give the name of this bird. We'll, we'll listen to it instead. A lot of people will recognize this crazy great. bird. I think that might be the kookaburra. That's the kookaburra. That's the <laughs> laughing kookaburra. There are two species down there, ah. laughing and blue wing, okay. and both were were pleasantly common. You know, kookaburra mm. is the one bird that you know I knew about before I was a birder, and it's pretty much associated with with Australia for a lot of folks. And they're wonderful, and they're everywhere. And that call really resonated uh, through in the background of a lot of places I was. Mm-hmm. Um, they're crazy birds. There's these. They're, they are these big, sort of fat-headed uh, kingfishers um, that sit just like kingfishers do, and and sort of sit motionless and look down around for things to pounce on. Uh, and they were just a great, uh, great companion on the trip. And number two bird, the hooded parrot. Yeah, hooded parrot. I mean, I was so excited. Australia. 
and especially where we were, uh, were in the parts that we were, had lots of parrots and birds that you know I normally associate with with pet stores. Uh, and the hooded parrot was probably the the rarest parrot that we saw on the trip. It's this sort of uh, endemic to the top end of Australia, uh, and we saw in a place called Pine Creek this beautiful turquoise and black-shouldered parrot. But we also saw all kinds of other ones, uh, double-eyed fig parrot, what a cool name, wow. rainbow lorikeets, which are basically everywhere that we stopped in. And you want to just shake people walking on the street saying, can you believe that these lorikeets are flying everywhere? Um, uh, cockatoos were everywhere, rosellas, galas, these beautiful um, pink, pinkish parrots. Uh, it, was, it, was a re- it was like being in an outdoor zoo for me. Hey, can you hear that crazy sound in the background there? I hear something scary approaching. It's the, it's the number one bird on your list, the cassowary. Oh, my goodness. Now, now that's Southern. a bird that would kill a person. And when you see them in person, you can totally understand. These cassowaries, these giant megapodes, they have claws, you know, the size of a person's head, these feet. And, oh. and if you were to mess with them... Uh, they can kill you. There are stories of, of them killing people, and, and people down there are very familiar. Um, we mm-hmm. saw cassowaries uh, at this place called the Cassowary House, uh, of all places, up in the rainforest, and we saw a, a father with chicks, with taking care of his chicks, walking around with his chicks. Mm-hmm. And the, the uh, owners of the place were very, you know, made sure that we were not on the ground anywhere near his father with with the babies because mm-hmm. uh, if we got on his bad side we would be in serious trouble not a good plan there to do that N- not I, a good I, plan <laughs> but they're beautiful birds big electric blue skin on the head these beautiful fierce mm. cool weird birds cassowaries nick lund aka the birdist you can find his birdist rules of birding at audubon.org and you can find his website too the birdist dot com uh nick welcome back and uh, thanks for being with us and i hope the rest of that jet lag uh, disappears real soon thank you very much ray <laughs> take it easy all right coming up here it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute more than 100 million wild animals are killed each year illegally poaching is just one of the risks animals face at our hands i'm tom barry i'm an actor i grew up in the beautiful rural countryside of ohio animals roam freely in the open forests. I have a deep concern to help preserve those open spaces for our wildlife friends so they can live and thrive like they used to. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife, to preserve natural habitats, and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, world leader more than in the study, appreciation, mi- and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell. Dot edu. That's birds.cornell.edu. And you are eligible to win in our Mystery Bird Contest as long as you haven't been a winner here in uh, the past six months. We have a beautiful prize, the Droll Yankees Bottoms Up Finch Feeder. Not very hospitable to house sparrows, 
but uh, other other birds love it. They can hang upside down and feed very easily. And a bonus prize, a big bag of birds and beans, bird-friendly, shade-grown coffee. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. It's a small weed, uh, not a weeder, but a wader that breeds in the Arctic regions of North America and Eurasia and winters at sea on tropical oceans. It's about seven inches long with lobed toes and a thin, straight bill. The breeding female, actually more colorful than the male, mostly dark gray above with a chestnut neck and upper breast, black face, and white throat. Our bird is known for its unusual feeding method, often swimming in a small, rapid circle, forming a whirlpool, an action that is believed to bring food up from the bottom in shallow water. So that is our mystery bird. Tell us what it is or take a guess at 781-837-4900 and win that fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees. And our bonus prize today, a big bag of birds and beans, bird-friendly coffee. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Meanwhile, let's ask Mike in just one minute. Now a word from our friends at Birdwatching Magazine. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Maria Inez Phillips talks about not recycling. I've got too many newspapers and magazines and catalogs in there with plastic containers and bottles and cans. Your trash can is full of recyclables? No, it's full of trash. You say trash, Maria. I say rubbish. Whatever it is, I'm not going through it. I just don't get it. Some things are very obvious, Maria. Learn the difference between trash and recycling and more. I put out way too much trash to think about recycling. Visit yougottobekidding.org today. Mike O'Connor is down there on beautiful Cape Cod, the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A in Orleans, and he is here to regale us about backyard bird feeding stuff and uh, why birds kind of do what they do. Good morning, Mike. Backyard bird feeding stuff. That sounds like a nice title. That's the technical uh, phrasing for it there. But uh, Yeah, I was listening to your conversation with Nick, and he yeah. mentioned the rainbow lorikeets. People should punch that bird up on their computer, take a look at this bird. It's stunning, and it's a backyard bird in Australia. You know, here we get people, my customers go out of their minds when a cardinal lands in their, in their yard, <laughs> but they should punch that up. And you go to a backyard in Australia, people put a little seat out, and they get these crazy rainbow lorikeets. You would be blown away. Just look at it. They mm-hmm. should do that. But not now, because we're talking about what are right, we talking exactly. about? Do it later. Yeah. We're, well, I guess it, you were telling me that people uh, refer to chickadees as polite birds because they take one seed and then they go away and eat it, uh, you know, somewhere else. Oh, but, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I have a customer who says he's trying to tell me that chickadees are the polite birds. When <laughs> other birds land on the feeder, they just mm-hmm. kind of chow down. Everybody blames, of course, the blue jays because yeah. they take a lot of seed, mm-hmm. and which they don't necessarily eat on the spot. They just put them in their in their throat and then hide them someplace else for the winter. So that's why this time of year they'll be taking a lot of seeds. But the chickadees do kind of a one-at-a-time thing where they grab a seed and take off. Well, there's two reasons for that. First of all, there's a hierarchy. The the chickadees have a dominant bird. So the dominant bird might sit and eat, but the other birds have to come and go, or they're going to get whacked in the back of the head by the dominant bird. So it's really just a little bit of a survival thing. They want to take the seed and get out of there because the bird in charge 
he gets first dibs, he gets the best food on a feeding source, and he gets to stay as long as he or she wants, because it typically is a couple, actually. The male is the dominant, and the female of the couple is the next dominant. And then the other birds have to kind of eat at the, when, when those other birds are out of the way. The, the second advantage, then, when you think about it, like goldfinches, they'll sit and eat and eat, or doves will sit and chow down. But, and they save a lot of energy by not going back and forth like the chickadees do, but they put themselves out there for predators. Mm-hmm. So basically, the chickadees are a little bit on the ball with this because they grab a seed, and even though they spend a little bit more energy, they can eat in the security or the relative security of a thicket or a pine tree or someplace else where the other birds are exposed for a long time. So the chickadees kind of got a good system going on there for themselves. They've got it figured out there, I think. They've been doing this for a while. Yeah, so they know they, what they're doing. They the chickadees, and they wouldn't be the best bird in the world if they didn't know that already. Exactly, and our state bird of Massachusetts, of course. Of course. And as yes, our friend yes, Nick points yes, out, yes, this, yes, we got to remember yeah, that. Yeah, state bird of Maine, as our friend Nick uh, likes to uh, point out. As yeah, well. we're not talking. Well, Maine used to be part of Massachusetts, so it's just an extension. It is just an extension, just a little add-on kind of thing there, <laughs> a big add-on. Mike, thank you for that uh, insight about chickadees and other birds out there at the feeders. Okay, we'll talk next week. Talk right? to you next week. Uh, Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatchers General Store, Route 6A. Orleans, uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. If we continue to consume our natural resources at the rate we do now, by 2050, it could take three Earths to meet our needs. The Earth can't speak up when it needs help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. Back here at the Mystery Bird Contest... This would be the sound of our mystery bird, a small wader about seven inches long, lobed toes and a thin, straight bill, known for its unusual feeding method, often swimming in a small, rapid circle, forming a whirlpool and bringing up food from the bottom in the shallow water. What is it? 781-837-4900 is the number to call here. 781-837-4900. And uh, I think we have Chuck in Watertown, New York, if I am not mistaken. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Um, well, thank you. Remind us where Watertown, New York is, Chuck. Well, Ray, we're actually traveling through New York, and we're coming out your way, to be quite honest. Uh, we're just looking forward to going to see Mike at the general store. All right. Uh, so, Watertown, we must be close to the Adirondacks. Yeah. Okay, so you're driving through Watertown, New York. Yeah, yeah. Area. All right. Well, thanks for uh, for calling in while you're while you're traveling uh, in our, our mystery bird uh, contest, uh, Chuck. How are you hearing us? By the way, you're hearing us in the car online somehow. Well, I've got you on the internet. We're yeah. in our camper. I've got you on the internet, okay. and uh, we listen to you every week. Never miss a show, Ray. Well, thank you so much, Chuck. We're going to make you the automatic winner of our... No, I'm just kidding, but what do you, <laughs> <laughs> what do you say our mystery bird is, uh, Chuck? Okay, my wife's going to kill me. I know it's a farlope, and I think it's the red farlope. Mm, Tim is going or well. Or re- rednecks farlope. <laughs> oh, did you, uh, did you say rednecked? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Yay. You are absolutely right. Your wife is not going to kill you now, so you're all set. Oh, you can, I'm glad. You can feel thank safe you. in your camper there. Chuck, thank <laughs> you. Uh, thank you. Um, let's see. Are you from Massachusetts? So, uh, no, Ray, we're from Illinois. You're from uh, Illinois. Okay. Yeah, yeah, from Serena, Illinois. That's, uh, that's where our home base is. Okay. But we've been traveling around watching birds, and we're headed out your way with a 
specific goal of stopping at the general <laughs> store. So. All right. Well, th- we know you, Chuck, from Serena, Illinois. Sure, of course. But uh, thanks for calling in and uh, enjoy the rest of your trip. And uh, we have warned Mike about your arrival there soon. Okay. I'm, I'm sure looking he'll greet forward, you very Looking forward cordially. to using this bathroom. <laughs> it's, it's the famous bathroom at the Birdwatch's General Store. Everything is famous down there, it seems like. All right, oh, Chuck. Good. Thank you so much. Stay on the line, and uh, Tim will arrange to send you our, our, our that, uh, Droll Yankees bird feeder, and we'll send you uh, Birds and Beads coffee. Excellent. Thank you, Rick. All right. Okay. I guess we uh, figured that out. There's the red-necked phalarope, <laughs> as uh, Chuck uh, correctly identified. Uh, you know what's interesting about these birds? Not only are the females more colorful and larger than the males, but in all three of the phalarope species, the females pursue the males in breeding season. They also compete for nesting territory and aggressively defend their nests and their chosen mates. That's a pretty interesting uh, uh, bird, the redneck phalarope, and that would be our mystery bird, and that would be, I think, all the time we have for our show this morning. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.